Hello everyone, welcome back to the Karak with Mehreen show. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. He is a comedy sensation that you all must have seen on your social media. He uses his wit, his puns, his humor to shed light on realistic experiences that we've all had which make his content so relatable and so funny. But to get here, his story is really inspirational from going from one dead-end job to the other until finally we were all blessed with his comedy videos let me please welcome anand raman thank you for having me that was an amazing intro <laughs> and a lot to live up to as well <laughs> i mean you've already lived up to it though yeah yeah it's been a interesting journey for sure um yeah yeah it's very exciting so thank you so much for being here um as i mentioned we're going to talk about your life before um before going viral so coming to dubai before we talk about south asian communities and then finally choosing uh this profession of being a comedian awesome so to start off i know that you were in the states mm-hmm. and then you moved to dubai i believe 2017 2018 Yeah so I actually was born and raised just to cut back a little bit okay. I was born and raised in Sharjah Uh, okay. Yeah, so right. I've lived in Dubai for like 20 years almost. Okay. And uh, I grew up in a joint uh, Indian family, which is quite interesting because <laughs> that has its own advantages and disadvantages as well because growing up in a joint family, I think um there's like a support system which I think is very beautiful to have because when one parent isn't around or they're working at a job, the other parents can help yeah. pick up the slack. But then there's also a lot of trauma and fun <laughs> situations <laughs> that have arisen from that like i remember uh, one of my aunts force feeding her son milo and horlicks every day and him just crying to make is it be, to make him grow taller it, it was to make him grow <laughs> taller yeah you will not be basketball player if you don't drink this milo which by the way fun fact milo and horlicks is extremely nutritionally deficient oh wow you would much rather just feed them like a protein shake or something like oh. it's not <laughs> it's not even effective this is the thing i feel like we we also like south asian families they take they go with a lot of these little tactics that they come up with yeah. and they're so confident that this will work like i want to have that level of confidence in my life because like at the end of the day usually they don't work seriously <laughs> yeah it's like uh, there's so many different things that they have constructed in their head of how things could work and like growing up in that kind of an environment was definitely fun i would mm-hmm. say we i had like um six cousins wow. we all lived in we one all lived house together. together yeah so we would just um construct stories make each other laugh and mm-hmm. and that was a lot of fun and then i moved to the states um i moved to buffalo new york uh for 6 years and uh that was interesting i did a bachelor of arts in graphic design uh never ended up doing anything with design <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> and my parents took out loans uh actually and uh it cost them $250,000 for me to go to university to learn how to do photoshop and ms paint which <laughs> i never ended up using and uh and then in in the states uh i got a job in sales um where i was selling phones to impoverished neighborhoods um and it was quite interesting it was basically like a cell phone plan that i had to go and talk to people and based on their credit score they would either be eligible or ineligible to it and um these uh, basically it was in the hood and i had to go and approach about 300 to 400 people a day asking them like hey man would you like a phone and they'd be like no i already have a phone get one for your kids and they'd be like i don't need a phone man do you think i'm broke and like i almost got stabbed a couple of times it was <laughs> This is a very interesting experience. What? Yeah. So when I first moved to Buffalo, I thought Buffalo was New York City. Uh-huh. It is not. <laughs> It is not at all. It's just New York. It's the, New York. The state of New York, the right? The state of New yeah. York. Yeah. It's actually the 10th most dangerous state in New York. Um my house got broken into a couple of times. It was a learning experience for sure coming from Sharjah to to Yeah, Buffalo, oh my god, sure. you probably realize how many things you took for granted when you were here, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I was missing the the shawarmas and the <laughs> the home cooked meals for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I didn't yeah, that's insane. Like I didn't know you had those experiences and it's true that it's one of the most dangerous cities in the world there where did you study though where? so i studied in suny buffalo uh, okay, state university okay so you studied there and then you started working there as well okay yeah, okay yeah okay. cuz basically uh in order to get uh the visa to stay in america you have to get a job there and prove that you know you're basically better than an american citizen at the job which mm. was 
a, a challenging task. And when I worked at this uh, phone company, um, well, it was a cell phone, like it was a sales company for cell phones, which is a pun, cell phones. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I realized it was like pretty pretty tough to do. Uh, and they said if I was able to sell enough phones, I would be able to get the uh, um, I would be able to get promoted to manager level, okay. and then I would get a visa. But then I was like, I became the top performing salesman um, within a few months of working there. And they still were like, no, you have to like train now two to three other people. And I was like, this feels like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. So I'm just gonna, you know. And then a couple of things happened. Uh, one of my best friends got stabbed. Um, my house got broken into one time. Um, and then I decided to call my parents. I'm like, I'm up. I'll come back to Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> So that was your was that one of your main reasons for moving back to Dubai? Uh, yeah, it was one of the main reasons. Uh, one of the other reasons was um, I was just partying a lot. I got into, you know, because growing up here in Dubai, you're so sheltered and, you know, you don't really see that side of it. So then a lot of people that move out abroad, they end up having going crazy because they're like, oh, I have access to all of these things now. And they yeah. kind of like just go haywire. And that was my case for sure. I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to party it up. And then I realized if I don't take a step back and evaluate my life uh, in this moment, I'm probably not going to live very long. And so I decided, you know, the best thing is to move back. So I didn't move back to Dubai uh, initially. I moved back to India. Okay. Tried getting a job in India and it was brutal. Uh, I was in Mumbai living with my parents. Um, for the first year, I was applying to jobs and they were offering me uh, 1,500 to 2,000 dirhams a month. But I was out of college with a degree in graphic design and uh, they wanted me to work like eight to 10 hours for, mm. for that amount. So I was, that's insane. Yeah. And then my sister was like, you know what? Uh, she, my sister had a job here. She was settled. So she was like, why don't you come Why live you with come me? Here? Okay. And so I moved back to Dubai um, and I lived with my sister for four years here in Dubai. Uh, I didn't have a place of my own and I used to sleep on her couch. Uh, it was this pull out couch. <laughs> And uh, basically for years, I just worked here in various jobs and uh, slept on that couch, went back to work and we got a dog as well. And the dog would sleep with me on the on couch. On the couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he used to also use the couch as his toilet sometimes. He would like piss on the couch. <laughs> and then I would have to clean it that's after fun. work. Yeah, it's n <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a way to put it. And then I would uh, go back to work. So yeah, that was my life for a few years. Well, so there's a lot to break to break down here let's yeah. let's talk a little bit about your life when you moved to dubai mm. and then we can connect it to some experiences that you had in the u.s sure. so when you moved to dubai and you were going from one job to the other um i want to know how how that was like was it really hard to find a job here how was it how was your experience looking and finding a job it was extremely difficult looking for jobs over here when I first came back because I started off uh, at internships that were unpaid. Um, I worked at certain companies, which I can't name, that are kind of shady here that uh, offered me like free experience where I would just work for them for three to four months and then not get anything not back in return. Um, and then I worked as a, a social media executive at some of the companies here, but um, it was very uh, toxic environments where the managers would expect the world out of me for very, very low pay. Um, most of the jobs in the beginning, first few, well, for the first year and a half to two years, I, w I could not find a job. Mm. I just could not find one. And I felt really bad because um, I was living with my sister, but like I had no way to pay rent or contribute to the household in any way. Yeah. Um, so I would just pretty much like wake up, apply for jobs, go work out at the gym um, and then come back, watch some podcasts and then go to sleep. And that was my life for a long time. Wow, and now you're in a podcast. And now I'm in a podcast, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> surreal. Um, but I ended up landing a job um, for a few companies where I had, uh, it was for some Indian companies. And um, the Indian companies can have a very toxic work culture, especially some of the Indian managers that I was reporting to. Uh, I remember when I first started my jobs with them, I would contact my girlfriend and I would just be on the verge of tears, like anxiety, nervous breakdowns, because they expect the world out of you for such low pay and they don't trust you at all. There's no trust involved. Um, in the beginning, I had to, 
you know, get influencers to come. So I worked at food and beverage mm -hmm. um, in social media, basically. Mm -hmm. So for the restaurants, I would have to get influencers to come, to come to the restaurants, try out the food, take pictures of the, the food is, and yeah. stuff. So that was a regular part of my job. And then my managers would be like, no, that's not enough. You have to go to the restaurant and make sure that they're taking pictures of the food and you have to see which pictures they're taking. And if they're not taking enough pictures, you have to you let have them to know. Them. So then I would have to go because i didn't have a car i would go through the metro to dubai mall i would stand there next to these people while they and were just watch food. them eat food <laughs> just watch them eating food and i'd be like hey the the casserole looks really good could you take a picture of that and they're just like why is this guy hovering over me <laughs> while i'm trying to eat my food the person couldn't even eat probably yeah it, no it he pro couldn't and and all uh, while all of this was going down my manager would call me and he'd be like where are you and I'd be like, I'm in the mall where you told me to be. And he'd be like, I don't believe you. Like, hand the phone to the waiter over there. And then he would um, verify that I was there. Or, like, sometimes I would go to the bathroom and he would be, like, still calling me, like, trying to find out where I am. Um, I remember going back to the office one day and he, one of the my colleagues um, messed up at their work. And he made them come into his office and do push-ups to reprimand him for a bad job. And I was like, this is terrible not like, healthy at not all healthy. but do you, did you find this particularly in indian companies so this is not commonplace it's it was particularly in yeah it was for the most part in indian companies um indian managers mainly from delhi and mumbai i don't want to single them out it's not a race thing it's just the work culture that we're brought up to mm. uh learn to it's kind of that atmosphere that's cultivated you know mm. um i remember just around the office having like posters that were like where like there's cameras don't steal anything don't do this don't do that so you felt like your every move was being watched and especially in social media you have to be creative you have to be free but you feel like you're being restricted, restricted you know i remember um my manager saying uh, the the main boss of the company really liked me because he saw that i was trying to push new ideas and take the social media to a, a new realm mm. but the manager didn't like that and he would come up to me and say you know you're just the flavor of the month uh, right now you know it's like ice cream like tomorrow next month he's not gonna care what is he on about? <laughs> and i'd be like that's oddly like sexual in a way but, <laughs> but also like yeah i don't know um but uh you know, and I remember when I finally resigned from that company, I had to serve a one month notice and he came up to me and he was like, now I'm going to make your life miserable. He said that straight to my face. And every single day he would just make me do meaningless things just wow. to kind of like prove a point. That's insane. Yeah. But so I want to compare a little bit because mm -hmm. you talked about your experiences in the US as well. Yeah. How do you think it was different? So I would say the work culture, especially not even from the US, but I think moving on from the Indian companies here to uh, some of the American companies and the U uh, UK companies, the work culture is so much more different. Like they don't micromanage you. They allow you to breathe. They allow you to be your true self. Um, I remember going from this environment to having an interview with one of the companies I work for now. And the guy who interviewed me was just like, you know, oftentimes here in Dubai, it's so hard to find companies that really care about their employees. And so even if this interview, um, you decide not to come on board with us, I wish you the best of luck in, in your life. And if you need anything, I'm here for you. Wow. And I was like, this is so rare. Like You're I'm, like, like, how is this happening? Like, am I dreaming? Like, yeah, it was like PTSD. And no. I'm just like thinking about these managers. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And my new manager was from the UK mm. and he would check in with me once a week. He would give me a call and he would say, hey, man, is everything good? Everything all right? Any dramas? And I'd be like, <laughs> no, no dramas. He'd be like, all right, uh, fine. Cheers. <laughs> and he just cut the phone. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, wow. This that's is crazy. all I've ever wanted. Yeah. So so this was, all, of course, in Dubai as well. Yeah. And this is the company you're, you're still working with? Yeah, this is the yeah. company I'm still working with. So you with. had like both the positive and the neg negative experiences coming here. It, I guess it also depends on who runs the company, as you were mentioning. Absolutely. What were you, was your expectation before coming to Dubai? Like, what did you think? Did you think it would be relatively easy? Like, what did you think how the work experience would be like here? I thought it would be easy to land a job. And uh, given the fact that I had a degree from the States, I thought that that, was, that meant something. something. And then once I reached here, I realized it's really about the 
color of your skin and your passport to be honest that takes you like the experience takes you to a certain extent but that also plays a role plays a role for But sure. do you not think that plays a role in other parts of the world as well like in the states do you think that doesn't play a role I think it definitely does play a role but it's a bit more uh, equal opportunity I would say and also don't get me wrong I have a lot of Indian friends here who are earning a lot and they work for amazing companies and and you know it's it's all about the grind but it is just about how much you can persevere through all before of the you shit can. before you can find the gold yeah yeah so i think um i had stints in between where i would work for different companies with uh, a certain type of work culture where they were toxic and they were they were um negative towards their employees and then certain types of companies where they weren't and now it's much more easier to dial in but i feel bad for those people who first newly come to dubai and you know and they just like accepted and and they have to go through it yeah, yeah 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 that makes sense do you think that um because i was thinking a lot about how s- the perception of south asian employees are in the workplace mm. so do you experience some kind of like stereotypical views from from your managers because you're south asian be- or do you think that because some people say that being being a south asian you get respected less in the workplace mm. what do you think about this I think um in my personal experience I've gotten more respect just based off of um my experience and and like I said from the companies that treat you positively and they have a good work culture those are the ones that mm. like you know give you a fair shake and and those things but then it's it's with those other companies that they don't really um care and yeah like if you're south asian then it's definitely less so <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely uh more of an issue yeah, um i i remember working at this one pizza company where um and i'm i don't think i'm allowed to say the name again <laughs> just cuz <laughs> yeah that's okay yeah so <laughs> i don't um, want to get you like yeah. in jail or something <laughs> <laughs> no i remember working for this one company and like the owner was so eccentric and i think having a boss with um views that are out there and kind of like excited about the work makes you excited to work in that company for sure. because he would come up and he'd be like anand i i just want to create a podcast studio here in in the company here's my credit card just buy all of the equipment and then by the next week i had set up this beautiful podcast studio wow. i made it soundproof and that was inside the office and we were always doing cool things like we had hired the first um female delivery driver and we made a whole background uh, around her and uh, you know like shined a light on her story so wow. it was super cool and so that kind of environment was very fun i love that oh yeah. my god that's so cool yeah. and um so we were talking a lot about like the positive the negative experiences that you've had um one of the questions that i had based off of the reels that i watch of you mm. a lot of the jokes that you made are about job experiences it's about the job market uh job interviews salaries things like that and mm. i read this qu- quote that comedians are funny psychologists because mm. they're able to observe behavior and based off that make make a joke Love right that, yeah so a lot of this probably those jokes come from personal experiences as well so i want to dig in a little more on those personal experiences even though we've been doing it quite a lot so for example when it comes to job interviews mm-hmm. i wanted to you make a lots of jokes about that so just from your experience how it's how has that been like it's definitely been an experience um i think that a lot of places tend to waste your time where they will ask you to come for multiple rounds of interviews when mm. they already have candidates that they've chosen but they just kind of want to see like okay maybe, maybe this person could bring something to the table but then I would uh, I didn't have a car at the time so I would either take a taxi or I would take a metro and travel long distances to go just for 5 minutes for them to see me um and then just say that they'll get back to me later um i had experiences where uh it was fun experiences too like i remember this one job where i was um sitting over there and then the owner came in um in flip flops and shorts and he just like interviewed me and he was like do you have any questions for me and i had no idea he was the owner so i was like what do you do here <laughs> and he was like oh i own the company <laughs> so those those are fun experiences uh, i think salary expectations was one that really hits close to home um i think that uh you know 
there's a lot of people here that are earning way less than they deserve and that there are companies that get away with paying um, very low salaries um, and not taking care of their employees. That was my life for sure. For a long time, I was stuck at um, a job description which made me work ridiculous hours but not get compensated enough to even move out of my sister's place, not even get get my own life situated you know mm. so it, and pretty much a lot of it i had to pay back to my sister in rent or like helping out around the house so i didn't really have much in savings one um topic that was unspoken about that really hits close to home for me was uh visas and so basically that was one of the topics i had spoken with sandeep about that i wanted to talk about because um, this is not a, the case anymore so a lot of people aren't aware about this but um a few years ago here in dubai a lot of companies would not give you a visa upon giving you the job. They would make you go through a probation phase for six months and then see if you're eligible to get for the visa. visa. So a lot of companies, I would have to fight tooth and nail just to get the visa. And some of them, I remember having conversations back and forth where I'm like, I've now been working here for two months and you still aren't getting me one. And they're like, yeah, but it's a huge expense on our part. We don't know if you're going to stick around. Um, maybe if you could just get get your visa extended for a little more longer. And I'm like, I am going through the metro to Karama <laughs> station with this man's sweaty armpit in my nose every single day just to work for you. And... I, the least you could do is keep me here legally, you know, and um, they would threaten me with like, um, oh, if you end up leaving afterwards, you're going to have to pay the cost of what it took us to get your, you your visa. And um, I remember this one company that I worked at, terrible company, social media company um, there. It was run by these two women and, and on uh, on. Um, WhatsApp, they would communicate with me about the visa thing and they would mm. be like, oh, hey, we're just looking into the visa situation right now. We might uh, be able to get you that visa, but we were just wondering, could you wait another month? Could you wait another month? And then I was like, no, I, I really need to get this going right now. Mm. And I just remember being like, why is this a point of stress for me? Like, I'm doing the work that needs to be done. Why can't... Why shouldn't this be something that you that's deserve basic. to get? Yeah, yeah I, I remember not getting health insurance for eight months working in one of the companies uh, fighting for my visa getting very low pay this was all with my degree from the states as well so like it's not like i'm like i deserve this but it's like the basic thing that you know everyone should have so for someone who wishes to move to dubai wishes to move and get a job what is your advice that you would give to them before we move on to the next theme of this conversation i just want to sure talk a little bit about advice that I, you would give to someone i would say just be very careful of um vetting out what the work culture is like make sure that you resonate well with the people that are working in the company first when you're having the interview with people make sure that they align with your goals and values and it is true what Sandeep said, ask not what the employee can do for the company, ask what the company can do for the employee at a certain point. Because um, when you start working at a company and you're new here in Dubai, there's a lot of ways they will try to screw you over. They might try to hold your passport, which is illegal now because you can just complain to the authorities, but they might try to not give you a visa. They might try to cut corners in terms of your salary, in terms of your health insurance, but know the law well. Mm -hmm. Know your rights. Know your rights um know the work culture that you're getting into and i would say that if you're moving to dubai it's much better off if you're already well established in your home country so that you mm. can and hopefully if you can apply from abroad and you already Before have you something in. you've seen the offer letter you know what you're getting into then you come here because a lot of people come here with no backup plan uh so the, and then they try to get jobs here and yeah, then they yeah. try to get jobs that was my that life was for the experience. longest time yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. so it's it's crazy going through all these stories because for me i'm i'm in university i don't i i mean i know i hear stories about it but really getting into the deep and the depths of like what you go through so it was it was really insightful and just crazy to hear so Absolutely. it's just it's so cool like how you persevered through that and now like I mean, you're, it's, it's amazing to see because you are extremely talented. Like everyone knows Thank that you. when they watch your videos, I know that when I watch your videos. So seeing how it was not just like an overnight success, you really worked hard for it. So 
moving on from the discussion on your experience trying to find a job i want to talk about south asian families and communities a little bit you touched on that in the beginning where you were mentioning joint families you mentioned you lived in a joint family and mm-hmm. then eventually you moved in with your sister so one question is how did your family react to you wanting to be a comedian i know that you 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 did comedy on the side even while you know doing these jobs so what was your family's uh, perception and reaction yeah i think um in the beginning um comedy was the one thing that saved me mentally and spiritually in my life when i first moved to dubai uh, back from the states uh, i used to watch a lot of comedy podcasts and that was how i spent a majority of my time just thinking up of new ideas i i would create this podcast in my sister's room with my cell phone uh just recording myself speak into a mic and wow. i would get like 30 views on facebook but i was so happy i was like this is my thing and um i i remember my parents being supportive of it in the beginning because uh, i used to watch a lot of russell peters with my dad that's how i got into comedy and uh, it inspired me a lot mm. uh, to get into it because it was another indian man abroad who was killing it and uh, showcasing that you know this can be an actual sphere of uh, profession profession yeah and um south asians obviously they they have a lot um to say about comedy you know like uh my parents for example even to this day they they sometimes are not happy when i talk about them or i talk uh, about certain things yeah. uh in the podcast um and so <laughs> creatively sometimes they can hinder you a little bit mm. but you just kind of have to stay true to the craft and if you believe in what's funny then at the end of the day you know it speaks for itself um when i first started creating things i think um my parents didn't think too much of it because obviously you know there wasn't that much attention around it at the time so they were like oh it's just a hobby it's just a, mm. a phase and you know it's going well when things started picking up yeah. and then really blowing up and then like their neighbors started coming up to them and they're like this is your son and then like you know friends and family started reaching out to them then they were a bit more like okay this is something it's going somewhere yeah it's going Some, somewhere yeah, yeah. um i think the culture and mentality behind it is still rooted in um generations of not understanding really where comedy comes from and it being respected as a true craft mm. because um even to this day when i have so many opportunities uh to pursue it full time i've spoken to my parents about it and even yesterday my dad messaged me and he said you cannot quit your full-time job this is not going to lead anywhere you know you have to be very careful think 10 times before you do this because um it might not be a viable option for you because my dad grew up um in a small town in kerala and he his dad was uh, had a stall where he would sell cigarettes and they grew up very uh poor and so to him it's all completely new and it's a new sphere yeah. and so it scares them to a certain extent they want to protect you as well of course yeah um there's that certain mentality of what will the neighbors think when it comes to comedy because they're very worried about you know what other people think what other people think that's always been the case um but they're very supportive of me luckily my parents uh they love me a lot they've come to my shows and i i talk about a lot of crazy stuff on my shows um <laughs> and and they're like front row and you know so <laughs> do you feel nervous doing that in front of your parents like how do you feel about that i feel so much more nervous when my parents are there i don't know why it's like it, it, when someone's there that i know it makes me so much more nervous i could perform yeah makes sense for a sold out arena with like 10000 people and i'd be so chill if no one was there but if it's like a room of 20 people and my parents are there i'm like oh my god i yeah. have to kill it <laughs> <laughs> i know i completely understand there was one time when my dad was in one of my recordings and he <laughs> sat right there yeah. and oh my god like i was just like i have to be as perfect as i could like <laughs> yeah. like no matter even if there's like a 20 people sitting here i would be okay but when my dad is there or my parents are there i completely understand what was he making any side comments or anything or he was like <laughs> there were a few comments in the end like he was like mention this also talk about this as well like he would yeah and then the recording ended and then he went to the studio operator is like can you play it again uh, can you start recording again she forgot to mention one question i was like bro <laughs> <That's> so <nice. laughs> So yeah. yeah, why do you think that is? Is it cuz like I don't know, South Asian 
parents put some kind of expectation on you. Yeah. But that's parents in general as well. I think so. I th- I think growing up, uh, because I lived in a joint family, a lot of my cousins, they went on to become doctors and engineers, of course, and, you know, um, respected professions in the Indian community. And my parents would always... Uh, make the comparison, but not in a very direct way. They'd be like, oh, you know, uh, Akash is now an anesthesiologist. And I'd be like, put me to sleep, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, I always knew that I couldn't do that because I was the creative kind. I always knew something was different about me because I remember even in the third grade being on the bus and uh, sitting with my friends and feeding them dosa and telling them vivid tales of Pokemon stories where I would craft these like fantastical uh, stories out of thin air and like they would just be so super entertaining (laughs) because I would mix like funny in with everything but aside from that um, when I first started doing stand-up I used to draw from a lot of my life experiences a lot of my trauma because as you know like comedians like to talk about their past and and deep trauma and stuff like that and obviously a lot of that stems from an Indian household so you're talking about your parents I used to talk about my dad how we had parrots growing up Uh and my dad once um, so we had two parrots one was uh, Romeo and one was Smokey why not Juliet (laughs) <laughs> we, we didn't think that far <laughs> honestly it was very uncreative I don't know. Uh, Romeo ended up being a girl funnily enough oh really <laughs> yes. wow this was very well planned it was it's a tragic tale so I remember uh, this one time <laughs> so <laughs> my dad brings home uh, Smokey from the, the pet store he sets the cage down and as soon as he set the cage down like a bunch of cockroaches came out of the parrot's feathers like i don't remember if it was cockroaches or like bugs like just fleas started coming out of its feathers that's normal (laughs) my dad my dad looks at the parrot and looks at me and goes it must be from pakistan (laughs) what the hell i go dad that is so racist how does that even make sense how does that make sense oh my god (laughs) I was like, is this parrot drinking Ruhafza or something? Like, how did you even get that? <laughs> Ruhafza. Did you get that? Like, what? <laughs> like, there was no inclination of, like... He was like, no, I know, like, these type of parrots look like this generally or something. I don't know, right? <laughs> what do you mean? Because <laughs> it was green. I'm like, all parrots are green. <laughs> it's not... It's not like the Pakistani parrots are the only green ones. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> No, there's African greys and there's Pakistani parrots. Like, you know, so he went back to the store and he returned that parrot. Because it was too Pakistani. Because no, because of the cockroaches and the. <laughs> but it might have had something to do with that as well. I don't know. But uh, we got another parrot, and I remember one day coming home from school, and I was like, I couldn't find both of the parrots, and I was like, um, where where are they? And he looked at me, he's like, parrots deserve to be free in the wild, man. So I let them go. And I was like, dad, we don't live in the Amazon jungle. We live in Sharjah Rola. <laughs> like those were domesticated parrots that lived off seeds and stuff. So unless they ate from like a cafeteria nearby, they're, they're going to die. <laughs> so like I had to talk about this on stage. You uh-huh. know? And when I talk about it on stage, my dad would just call me and be like, I never did that, man. <laughs> They're just in denial. Yeah, they just gaslight you. They're like, you have a bad memory. Yeah, I said that parrot was from Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I I, like, my dad still doesn't like it when I talk about him. Uh, Like personal experiences from your family. Yeah. Yeah, personal experiences. But otherwise, he's pretty supportive. Actually, he's very supportive now. He's come on board when, with this whole thing with me and Sandeep, he like will call me up and he'll be like giving me ideas like, yeah, you should um, talk to Sandeep about this. And nice. my mom will be like, why is Sandeep getting all this uh, spotlight? Why aren't you, you know, showing your funny side as well in the videos? <laughs> like showcase both sides, you know. And um, they came to London for my show. They supported oh, so me cute. in person. Yeah. So they're like very, very, very supportive. supportive. Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. I think um, in terms of how you were saying that they're very supportive. And of course, there are some reservations that, you know, they might have in terms of um, what you want to do taking forward with a career but it's it's cool to hear all these experiences because yeah. i think people people can relate like for me personally 
um when i started this podcast my family are super super supportive my dad was the one who encouraged me to start it initially as well awesome and um when i started i had i started having a lot of fun um some but in the beginning i when i started posting clips and i talked about south asian families and i talk about things like marriage yeah. which is also a topic we discuss in our household yeah. and i talk about oh like why do we have to get married like at this certain age and i do all that. and then and initially obviously my parents were like why are you talking so much about marriage like we're, we, <laughs> no one forced you to get married or anything like that like you know they take it like personally yeah. and like gradually they start realizing like no i'm just addressing things it's not necessarily aligned with what my family thinks even though some of them of course are yeah um but yeah i think there's you 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 navigate through those uh, some reservations and some like support i yeah, guess yeah and and definitely in social media too before i started the whole podcasting i was trying anything and everything honestly because i just loved to make people laugh and so i would do this thing where i would go out on the streets and i would ask people for puns i would give people puns because i love making puns yeah you're really good at it thank you uh and i would also do like stitches where like i would do like funny videos and stuff like that um and some of them like my parents would just contact me and be like hey this video is too much take it down like you're going to get in trouble for this and Makes then like sense. i realized after a while like i can either listen to them and you know take it down or like i have to put a stand right now and be like no like creatively i have to explore and you know as a comic too for myself i'm like if i get jailed it's going to be another comedic story <laughs> so it's going to be <laughs> everything is a story every, every life experience is is worth it <laughs> yeah absolutely and i i have a lot of life experiences living here in dubai as well did you go to um an indian school here in dubai or did you go to yeah it was i mean i went to it was british school but like of course like lots of the teachers were indians and i, I was born and raised in alain oh, okay so lots of indians there as well yeah, so yeah, yeah i guess you could say indian school yeah because i i went to an all boys indian school till like the 10th grade 11th grade so it was oh <laughs> yeah. that's interesting to talk about as well how oh, yeah. how was that like it was horrible a horrible experience i just remember being i was obese uh, i was super fat and uh, very low self esteem so i think i used comedy as a coping mechanism as well in in high school and you know like i didn't like we weren't even around girls until like the 10th grade because i remember um up until the 3rd grade um it was coed and then after that i moved to a school where it was just all boys and the only way you would see girls is after like when uh, the end of school when you're going in the bus and like that was your time to kind of like just like you like take okay, a peek yeah i got 2 minutes to make my a good impression you know it's behind bus number 32 i'm talking <laughs> to this girl and i'm just like hey girl you going back home yeah me too yeah i'll catch you later like <laughs> smooth <laughs> smooth yeah exactly <laughs> so i remember just like um yeah that was and and sometimes there would be like this one girl that all of the guys were attracted to in the high school there wasn't like a very good majority of girls that were uh, around us all the time so pretty much like when there was one cute girl all of the guys would just be like oh yeah bro even i like her yeah bro even i like her yeah bro you like <laughs> so her too so everyone just like that one girl <laughs> yeah, cuz she's the only attention you could get yeah <laughs> <laughs> so then we'd all talk about like how are we going to like get this girl but then we realized like oh we all can't have her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so but what do you think of like uh like these type of schools where it's like all boys all girls? Yeah, what- I think it's definitely setting people up for failure because I think um you don't get to experience uh intersexual dynamics to just a normal degree where it's like normal to be around the other sex. and i think that kind of sets you up for failure later on in life because you kind of have this like weird sensation of like they're this mystical beings even though like you know if you're just around them in class it just becomes this kind of normalcy mm, and exactly. i think yeah that was definitely like removed um from the equation yeah um, that makes complete sense i think like and also like the more restrictions you place the more people will try to rebel yeah like, absolutely kind of like what you were saying that when you had access to like parties and all of those things you naturally became more inclined to it like yeah. that just makes sense that's just human nature yeah so yeah i think that's 
yeah, it's interesting to talk about the, these type of school dynamics and how that affects you growing up. For sure. Did it affect you like later on in your life, like after you left school and tried to, you know, went into the real world and started talking to girls? I think it was just majorly like unlearning a lot of the things mm. that, yeah. <laughs> you know, like all of the guys are like, I think this is how you hit on women, but like none of us have any idea. <laughs> any so experience just whatsoever, like, yeah. yeah. And then just like going out and experiencing it for myself. But um, a major part of it was just, you know, because both of my parents were at work all the time, they didn't really have much time to be around us and, and everything. So a lot of the things that I learned was just from my own personal experience or like watching podcasts online and those kind of things like that. Helped um, you. Yeah. So I think that that definitely was a thing. And then I moved uh, to India for a bit in the eighth and ninth grade. OK, um, because I wanted a dog really bad. And my parents were like, we'll get you a dog if you go to boarding school in India for a bit. <laughs> What? I was like, this is the worst trade-off. Ever. Yeah, I don't think that's a fair <laughs> exchange. Like, approved my entire life and just go and live in this place. But you took it. I took it. Yeah, I was naive and dumb, and I was like, okay, you know what? I live in this boarding school. So I remember. Um, well, actually, the boarding school came a bit earlier. So uh, one of my sisters was a bit more rebellious. My parents dropped her off to the boarding school, and I was really young at the time. I was like, I think in the fifth grade or something and i thought she was going on like some really amazing vacation to this amazing hostel so i started crying i'm like why does she get to go i want to go too and my parents are like yeah sure we'll drop you <laughs> off too and i remember uh just sitting there the first night and there was like uh bunk beds and like it was this indian uh hostel with like so many guys just in one room and i sat there and i opened my archie comic book and i was sitting on the bed and i was just reading it and my elder sister who knew what was going on she was just crying and she's like oh my god i feel so bad and i was like go guys don't worry i'm gonna enjoy myself i'm on vacation now <laughs> And the second day, I was like, where is my mom and dad? Oh. I'm missing everyone. And then I would sit in this dormitory, like looking at a picture of my mom and crying every night for like a month. And that was a very crazy experience because my parents would send me like all of these amazing snacks from Dubai, like, um, you know, digestive biscuits and oh, ramen noodles and all of this stuff. And like all the other kids would be like, we want it. And they would just come and like take all of take my it. snacks. Yeah. And I would get bullied a lot in, in this boarding school. Um, and then that was definitely uh, a learning experience. How is the environment like in a boarding school in India? It was very rough at the time, I think, especially because I came from a sheltered place in Dubai and like they were used to the whole Indian environment. And I think there was like a lot going on in the background that was weird, like a lot of the um, people that worked there were just up to a lot of shady stuff. Mm. Um, so that was definitely weird. Uh, I remember going to a co-ed high school in India as well. And that was a fun experience because that was again back in the ninth and 10th grade afterwards. I moved around a lot yeah. and in the ninth and 10th grade. And I remember being around girls again and I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I don't know how to talk to women anymore because I've just been talking to boys. Rajesh and Mukesh and, <laughs> you know, recess. So like I remember joining this breakdancing crew because I was like, this is what will get me the girls. <laughs> <laughs> this sort will make me look cool. Yeah, but I was also obese at the time. So I was trying to do like a handstand and stuff, but I was so fat. And I remember um, I started slowly getting the hang of it. You know, I was getting a bit better at it. And then one day I went up to the uh, teacher and he came up to me and he's like, are you sure this is what you want to do? You know, breakdancing isn't for everyone. And that broke my heart. I was like, oh, my God. No. <laughs> and this was in front of like my crush and like a bunch of other people as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, quite an experience you've had, with, even with schools, moving around through all these different um, different countries. Like you lived in India, U.S., and in Dubai, like Sharjah yeah. and Dubai. So it's pretty cool to to hear all these different, vastly different experiences, but how you've mm -hmm. kind of learned through them, and now you're talking about them. So all of these experiences contributed to you eventually choosing to to be a comedian yes. to um take up comedy to make cl uh, comedic clips and all of these uh all of these things that you're doing now um so 
when you chose to to be a comedian which is relatively an unconventional path mm. in south asian communities especially even though there are some amazing comedians but still relatively new how was that like how was how was it like um your whole experience of choosing this profession yeah i think um initially i just kind of was using it as an outlet i didn't really know if it was going to be a full time profession or not i just knew yeah. that after work i love to go blow off some steam and try it out so i joined a comedy course here in dubai called dubomedy shout out dubomedy it was yeah. a fantastic course that uh taught me the basics ins and outs and after which they put me on stage and i did my first show and it went really really well it was in front of 500 people i remember wow. and that was my first time ever doing That's, comedy yeah yeah and i remember people hanging on every word and they were laughing really loud which is not the best actually because it sets the bar so high <laughs> and then i've just been chasing that feeling ever since every time yeah but i have done a lot of uh things in my life let's just say i partied a lot i've done a lot of substances just, i don't know if i can speak <laughs> about that but i've done a lot of things but the feeling from stand up comedy is It's the best different. feeling i've ever had like it is the greatest high i've ever gotten especially like when people are giving you that deep belly laugh and just releasing all the stress from their day and it's from stuff that you're just throwing out to them yeah it's one of the best feelings so starting out it was rough uh, the comedy scene here in dubai was very new mm -hmm. um, there was one bar called comedy kicks uh, in sports city mm -hmm. and uh, in kickers sports bar where we all would congregate on the weekend once a week to perform and there was no other uh, stand up clubs yes. here but wow. uh, slowly now it's picking up there's yeah, like a lot more a clubs a yeah. lot more now yeah a lot more producers a lot more clubs so, so w even when it comes to um, creating these jokes jokes your craft um, there's like a fine line between being racist or offensive mm. and making a joke and making people laugh right so how do you you know how do you draw that line is that is that been a struggle for you it is a struggle in a certain sense because for me freedom of speech is one of the most important things i hate being confined on what i have to say uh, that's always been the case for me growing up and i think funny is funny that's one of my main principles i think you can joke about any single topic as long as you make it digestible and as long as it's funny at the end of the day if you can package it and if people laugh at it humor is based in the truth and yes. so if you're There's laughing at something you agree with it there's some truth to there's it there's some yeah. truth to it and so i think that that is something that is a bit tricky here because obviously you have to watch what you say and you can't just um be completely racist uh, but at the same time i joke about everything i joke about every race i joke about filipinos i joke about white people black people indians i'm very self deprecating as well so i i think people don't have really room to criticize me because i start out my set by making fun of myself i will say though in the beginning of my stand up career i did something that i'm not the most proud of i would make a lot of self deprecating jokes on indians mm. and it was very like a low bar that i was hitting that i was not proud of and i didn't realize it until another comedian called me out on it and he oh. was saying all of your jokes are pretty much just making fun of indians um to a room filled with white people and it's kind um, of like you're pandering to them yeah and then i realized that and i slowly started shaping my set a little bit more um it was still funny don't get me wrong but then i was just <laughs> like i don't need to um just specifically talk on this topic i can talk on different topics while still being funny you know so makes sense and have there been instances where you kind of crossed the line where maybe um it it took a turn that you didn't expect Yeah, for sure. There I've had a lot of moments where people have yelled out things, they've heckled, uh I almost got into fights. <laughs> There's been a lot of moments um usually it's the people that are the most offended are um white women. <laughs> the ones who really? shows. <laughs> like I have this really good Filipino joke that I am very proud of that I wrote, which I said the pandemic was very hard on my dating life. I even came up with an imaginary girlfriend. But then I went to a Papa John's one day and the Filipina waitress came up to me and said, "Hello ma'am sir." And I said, "Ma'am sir, you can see her too." <laughs> right? And I'm very proud of that joke. 
<laughs> and Filipinos love that joke and they're the most they're the most fun audience members by the way Indians and Filipinos oh, really? are the best at comedy shows like they know how to laugh at <laughs> themselves and at other people yeah but it's always like a white person in the back who's like that's not funny like you're being racist and I was just like it's so funny because like Filipinos themselves don't get offended but yeah. like a white woman says that yeah Filipinos like why are you <laughs> fighting on their behalf yeah. like they're loving it you know and they're usually the most chill about it. So um, I've had instances where people will yell out things to me. Um, but I've always been very, like, good at improv and crowd work. Mm, so, so you can, you know, see the room, test test it out and see how... Out. Yeah, and yeah. I, like, throw it back on them. So that's, that's always a fun situation. <laughs> very cool. I think we're almost at time. But I cool. want to ask you one last thing, um, which is in terms, again, advice, because some comedians may be watching some people coming to Dubai wanting to be a comedian. Um, what would you say to, tem to them? What is your advice to them on maybe their craft and also how how they can manage coming to Dubai and being and uh, trying to get into this path of comedy? I think the path of comedy is for um, the brave it's also for the ones that want to tell their own truth and their life story and i think if you want to pursue comedy writing is one of the most important things it seems like it's homework it's boring but that's how you creatively mm. package your thoughts into a digestible format for people and so when you want to do comedy you have to start by curating just even a three minute set make sure that you go out and test the material, test it with friends, test it with family, and talk about it in your own true tone. Like the kind of way you talk when you would with a close friend and you're trying to make them laugh is the same tonality that you have to have with uh, the stage presence that you have on stage. Because I was watching this video and, the, and they were saying that some jokes have to be delivered in a different tone like it depends on the joke as well. Like yeah. sometimes people deliver a joke in a monotone way because mm -hmm. It just sounds better like it's more sarcastic i guess yeah. and some jokes are delivered in i don't know more enthusiastic so yeah. i guess it also depends on the joke absolutely yeah and i think you have to know yourself uh and don't beat yourself up when you're first getting into the craft if you don't know what your tone is your voice because you will discover that five years in 10 years in, i'm still discovering a lot about myself and i've been doing stand-up for almost six years now it takes a really long time to get to really know what your authentic style is i know for a fact that i'm very high energy that's why i gravitated more towards hosting and crowd work and those kind of things i'm not very deadpan but if you have a monotone style then you should try to explore more in that style and i would say just uh, I've seen so many people bomb on stage and then I never see them again. But the true mark of a comedian is when you bomb really hard, but then you end up coming back mm. and you keep coming back mm -hmm. because you know that it's going to be worth it in the end. Makes I sense. think that's the most important thing. Thank you very much. This was so fun. Thank I enjoyed you. it. I hope you enjoyed yeah, it too. I really loved it. It was super fun. It's so cool it so hearing much. your experiences, honestly. Thank you. So thank you very much. In the end, we do like a little cheers. Yes. Cheers. Wait, can you... Sh oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There you go. Sponsors, there you go. Let's hey, go. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> do, is it finished? Do you, still, do you want more? I'm it's probably good. cold now. I like it cold, actually. It's good. Really? Yeah. I hate it cold. Really? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was so 